Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by UPMentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. This is part two of our episode with Pat Davidson. If you haven't already checked out part one, there will be a link in the show notes. In this part, we continue our discussion where we get into energy system development and we speak about Pat's book, Mass. Hope you guys really enjoy part two. Another sort of question I want you to touch on is with uh, energy system development. Um, I know, thanks to Joel, since about 2009-2010, that this is an area of a lot of discussion and conversation, and it was an area of a lot of confusion, I suppose, up until Joel released his work with Ultimate MMA Condition. But when you think of energy system development, you know, like what comes to your mind? What like what are you looking at? Uh, I know you, you touched on a number of factors there now with that hypothetical ten year old. Um, but just when you hear the terms energy system, what 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 automatically comes into your thoughts? You know what I, I think of in, in all honesty, I, I, I um I think of like I, I think a lot of people don't get the actual purpose of energy systems. So it's like whenever you're talking about energy systems in, in a lot of ways, you're actually not talking about how big a heart is or, or things like that. You know, it's like the, what you're talking about specifically is the three methods of rephosphorylating ATP. Yeah. So it's like you just look at it as like it's all about ATP for the most part. Like there's, there's another piece to it, but um, the, the two-part purpose of the energy systems is to rephosphorylate ATP after ATP has gone through a hydrolysis reaction. And the other part is to actually shuttle hydrogen uh, to a point where hydrogen is non-threatening to the organism. So uh, it's, it's like, um, you know, for every, every piece of work that my body is going to perform, whether that's chemical, transport, or mechanical, uh, I need ATP to go through the hydrolysis reaction to power that. Uh, and, and ultimately, like, the greater the power of the, of the expression of the organism performing a movement, the greater the rate at which ATP is going through hydrolysis and the greater the overall systemic magnitude of the total amount of ATP being hydrolyzed at any point in time is. So the the bigger the work output per unit time, the more ATP needs to be rephosphorylated. Um, so I have these strategies I, that go along with it, and, uh, and, and that would be, of course, your oxidative strategy, your glycolytic strategy, and your phosphogenic strategy. And with specific activities and specific work to rest bouts, you know, each one tends to prevail as being the most reasonable, sensible, and appropriate strategy to rephosphorylate ATP um, and, and also to reduce the threat of hydrogen as well. So I always start with, with that as my, as my starting point for, for understanding, like, what are these things and what am I going to do to develop them? Um, so it's, it's kind of like the, the next thing that I usually go into is, you know, 
if you're going to look at a at a new business model, you're going and you're like an investor in this thing. You're going to look at what is the biggest area for me to invest in so that I get return on my investment. And and as a result, like so, I'm looking at percent change capabilities in these realms. And uh, and and generally speaking, I think that the the old schools performance model that was kind of throwing the oxidative development piece uh, away as being like, hey, great athletes are fast and explosive. They're not running marathons. We made a big mistake. Uh, the thing that's going to determine how fast you are and how high you can jump is your genetics. Like, you know, what, what percentage of your fibers are made up of this type 2 uh, muscle type? Um, and also like, you know, what, what percentage of your fascia is elastin as opposed to collagen. So you can actually bounce and be reactive. But, uh, it, it's like, if I'm actually going to train you, uh, which of these energy systems has the ability to change the most. And it's clearly the oxidative system that has the, the greatest ability to change. And, and, um, you know, so I want to be able to make sure I develop that thing to a good enough perspective before I worry about some of these other ones. Um, you know, and the phosphagen system, as beautiful as it is, and as much as we love it and are impressed by it, the percent change of the phosphagen system from an energy system standpoint, like some researchers say, it doesn't really change at all from training. And then others will say it changes at this very small amount of like maybe, you know, you can you can get like 10% uh, more free ATP and, it, you know, creatine increases as a result of supplementing with it. Um, so it's almost like I, I need you to sprint because it's specific exercise. And if you're going to get faster, you have to do specificity of training. But from truly like developing the phosphagen system from an energy standpoint, like it's 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 like I don't need to do very much for the energy system contributions to the physical expression of high force uh, at high rates or low low rates of, of speed. But I do need to spend significant time developing the oxidative system so that it can because it's just plain old return on investment. Like I'm not a, I'm not a dumb businessman. I don't want to spend all my energy on a variable that's going to return me like 5% at most. I want to have this thing that's going to grow exponentially. Now the glycolytic system is an interesting one. You get a lot of these classic uh, coaches who say things like, you know, acid destroys phosphogenic activity and it kind of like scrambles the, the, the communication between the oxidative system and the phosphagen system and great athletes are these aerobic, alactic beings. Um, but I, I don't think there's anything really too wrong with, with good old glycolytic development. Like, um, you know, it, it, it's probably not like in the world of things that matter, like, like too much glycolytic, it's probably not as bad as we're making it out to be. There's a lot of pathways and ways to, negotiate around these metabolic systems when you really look at the physiology of, of it in depth. Uh, I would just say like aerobic development is, is huge. Um, you know, getting people to accept glycolytic work, I think is, goes a long way 
from a psychological perspective. And glycolysis itself has the ability to, to improve itself significantly from, a, from an output standpoint as well. Uh, so I, I, I kind of think along those lines from energy systems. And, and then I just think like along a third line, which is fiber type specificity and, and being able to train fiber types as accurately and specifically as I possibly can through training modalities. And, and again, so, I, you know, let's just keep it simple and say we have fast switch and slow switch fibers. And let's say, again, that I think oxidative development is probably the most critical piece to go after from an energy system standpoint. And I need, therefore, to develop the oxidative capacities of the fast switch fibers, and I need to develop the oxidative capacities of the slow switch fibers. Do I, in fact, have training methods that seem appropriate to get to those means? And the answer would be yes. Um, you know, if I'm going to develop the the fast twitch oxidative properties of my, you know, primary movers for big bang, uh, you know, legs and arms and things like that. You know, I've got high intensity continuous training as a fantastic uh, modality. I've got the um, high resistance intervals. I've got my aerobic plyometrics, and, and you know, you can you can pick up Joel's book and see all of the methods that make sense for oxidative development of fast switch fibers. And, and I also have, um, you know, some, some good appropriate modalities that would be for slow twitch fiber oxidative development. And, uh, and, and that would pr primarily be like that statodynamic method. And I could also go with like isometric approaches as well. Uh, you know, I would say that the big, the big differentiating variable between fast twitch fast twitch development and slow twitch development is ultimately force and uh you know recruitment follows the size principle which is a force dependent uh principle so if i'm going to go after fast twitch fibers to develop them i need to produce high levels of force so i can do that either by you know repeatedly moving high high masses or repeatedly creating high levels of acceleration um so, you know, I, I, I have a, a different drills that I'll use for the mass side of that and the uh, acceleration side of that. And there's, there's a bunch of, of, of common drills that you'll see, like mountain hike, like hiking mountains is a good, good one. It's just repeatedly doing high force leg activity that's going to develop fast twitch uh, oxidative capabilities. You've got like 20 minutes of step ups with a weighted vest. Um, you know, I actually really like box jumps for that to play more on the acceleration side. I really like 20 minutes of box jumps with stepping down. Um, great activity. Um, and, you know, they, these are all like very specific things that if people aren't familiar with them, then they need to learn about them and read the book. And if they are familiar with them, it's like, I think it's just, it's just cool to kind of talk about what 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 are probably the factors that, that drive you into into developing specifically those things so it's it's all it's all force like if I'm going to attack slow switch fibers I need it to be low force and I need it to be high duration uh, you know if I go high force I'm just gonna tap into fast switch fibers and I'm gonna fatigue too quickly before I can actually 
fatigue the slow twitch fibers. Uh, slow twitch hypertrophy uh, is miserable work. You have to go really slow so you don't produce too much force, and you have to do it for tremendously long times. It's very uncomfortable. It's very, very mentally taxing. It also sits you in this like very cognitive place of being very aware of the exercise that you're doing. So um, I don't know if that if that answers everything you're looking for there. No, that's great stuff. Absolutely fantastic stuff. And uh, very similar to my own thought processes as well. And you know, lately I've been reading a lot of physiology. So the the, the physiology textbooks I've been reading have kind of reaffirmed a lot of the stuff I've learned from Joel in, in terms of you know type one hypertrophy type. 2A oxidative properties, and um, I'll be very uh, along the very similar lines yourself. And you mentioned kind of earlier on that so one kind of thing I'd like to like you maybe to continue on is this idea that you know that doing glycolytic work destroys your ATP uh, PCR system or, or a lactic system. And I think a lot of people kind of quote that work from Isherin, and then like if you actually look at block periodization, Isherin kind of quotes himself and James Councilman and that stuff, but. I like, have been trying for a while to type into Google Scholar like training compatibility and also the training residuals. People always quote Isherin, but then if you try and find any other literature on it, it's very hard to find. Yeah. So can't find it. Yeah. Yeah, I can't seem to find it anywhere. And then I, I interviewed Dr. Gregory Half, and we spoke about energy systems, and he would feel that glycolytic work does have a place in in field-based games more along the lines of soccer and rugby more so than American football. He agreed American football is definitely more inactive than rugby, but he felt that it wasn't as clear cut. His basic thing was like, oh, if you do 20 seconds, and people are saying that's ruining your alactic system. He, he says, I don't really necessarily know about that now. Or even even if you end up as far as 30 seconds on an activity, again, depending on the rest interval for the next 30 seconds you have to do. But you get these other people who are very pure and say, oh, no, if you're doing multiple or anything over like that 10 seconds, it's not alactic power anymore. Okay, you might get a bit of capacity. But if you're doing lots of stuff that creates lactic accumulation it's going to destroy the enzymatic pathways of a, a lactic energy production and it just seems to be a lot more kind of just people saying it and repeating it than saying well where is the actual science and like experiments and studies that show this and i'd be as guilty as anyone i'm very much uh, influenced by dave tenney and joel james and jane smith in terms of a lactic aerobic. i think i think nearly it's kind of like the low carb sort of thing where like you have, people, you have people for a long time saying, like, you just go low-carb, like, and then everyone's like, also oh, low-carbs anyway. It's like, well, it's not that. It's just that because everyone who eats shit, it's usually just lots of processed carbs they're eating. So yeah. I, think, I think the kind of energy system was like, people were like, you know, do more do more alactic aerobic work, and then everyone, everyone's kind of like, oh, we should do no lactic work now. It's kind of like, well, like, I mean, yeah. it's like the pendulum swinging again, like, you know. I'll tell you how I actually think about it. Yeah, definitely, it's, please. Uh, I think that, like, it's funny, like I go back to like thinking about cooking meals when I think about developing athletes. And what's really interesting is I don't cook, so I don't know how I got into this life. That's, that's definitely a sentence I didn't think I'd hear in this interview. I think about cooking meals as developing athletes. <laughs> yeah. But like I've eaten enough meals, so I have a, a pretty good sense. And, um, and, and I actually think about it from like the, the perspective of like a stew. You know, and, and, and I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because I, I've got uh, Irish heritage and like literally everything is just kind of like a boiled stew that's 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 created for some reason. And they're delicious. Yeah, I mean, look, like everything shepherd's pie. Um, but like I, glycolytic work is the spices that you're going to use in the dish that you're making. And it's kind of like 
if you have none of it, it's really bland and boring. And, um, and if you have too much of it, it's overwhelming. So it's kind of like you're sprinkling it in here and there. And it's almost like good chefs. Like you, you ask them like, well, how much of that stuff did you put in? And they're like, I don't know. I just kind of grabbed the pinch and threw it in there. It just looked right and felt right. And, um, and you're like, oh, so how do I re reproduce that, replicate it? And you can boil it down to these very specific, like it needs to be this dose at this time and blah, blah, blah. But it's kind of like, you know, if you just design a, a – if you're making a good meal – you just kind of intuitive, intuitively like, ah, it needs a little bit of salt, and it needs a little bit of pepper, it needs a little bit of whatever else needs to get thrown in there so that the flavor is just right. And you kind of go in and like test it out every now and then. You're like, eh, it's still missing something. I need to sprinkle a little bit more in. And and it's literally like I, you know, as I'm seeing athletes develop, and and I'll typically try to live it with them. You know, when I was when I was coaching the the athletes at Springfield College and Strongman, like, hey, I'm competing in it with you and I'll train with you. And I loved how like Joel actually just started doing MMA training when he had to train MMA guys so he could learn about what it's like to experience that that life. Cause then you can actually like really have a good sense of how to program for them. And it's like, well, I need to live this to some degree to, to get a sense of the flavors involved with the programming so that I can sprinkle the right amount of like glycolytic spice into the dish. And, and I, don't, I think that it makes sense to some people when I describe it that way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I suppose w w one other area I just wanted to touch on is your book mass. Uh, mm. so like how did this come about? Why did you decide to write it? Um, I, I have the book and I, I've only just kind of skimmed through it. Um, cause I only got it recently, but, uh, just from any reports I've heard of friends might have done it, they said absolutely fucking horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, maybe just bring us through the history of, of Mass. Sure. So the, it's a, it's a very specific history actually. Uh, you know, I, um, when I was at peak, we, um, we, we did some work with the guys over at men's health and, uh, and one of their editors, Michael Easter, he um, he sent me an email and he was like, listen, we have this new intern who just started. And this kid is a former college cross country runner. He's like 21 years old and he's like five foot nine, uh, like 120 pounds. He's like, he's like, we, we just like he can't continue to exist at men's health being that skinny like. So we're, we're thinking of doing this project with, with, with him where we want to add as much mass to him as we possibly can during the 16-week internship that he has with us. So could you write a program that this kid could do in this 16 weeks? And I was like, okay, well, does he have any resistance training experience whatsoever? And he was like, no, not really. I was like, okay, great. This is like – this is going to be a, a – crazy sort of challenge. But I was thinking to myself, well, you know, I had kids that would start Springfield college and they wanted to be like lifters and they wanted to maybe think about competing in strongman. And literally these kids are coming in with almost like no athletic background. And like, they were the kids that like weren't probably athletic enough to necessarily like play college sports. So they're, you know, it's totally like beginner level stuff. 
and and so I totally resorted to a, to some of the program design pieces that I put together for for those guys. But um, it was like, okay, I get to meet this kid one time to kind of teach him how to do the most basic resistance training stuff, and he will be working at that the men's health facility, and they've got a gym, and there's going to be some other guys there that can kind of make sure he's doing things properly. So I was like, all right, well, what program am I going to put together for, for this kid to actually maximize the amount of mass he can gain in 16 weeks? So I came up with the exact program that turned into the book Mass uh, over a weekend designed for this kid. Uh, and it's, you know, it's four different blocks and each block lasts four weeks. And, um, you know, I was thinking about this kid and I was thinking, well, he's a runner. He's a cross country runner. The thing that he's going to understand the most is going to be like oxidative type training. And he's a competitive endurance runner. So he's definitely going to understand lactate threshold stuff. So I'm going to start this program with what he's familiar with. Um, so the first block, which is, uh, it's a 10 exercise circuit and it's a work to rest ratio of 30 seconds on 30 seconds off. And I'm asking you to get 15 reps in the 30 second work window for every exercise. And it's like, pick the 10 most basic resistance training exercises possible. So like when I run people through this, it'll be, uh, trap bar, deadlift, and then uh, the pushing and pulling go in opposite directions. So it's like we'll start with uh, like a kind of a seated close to overhead uh, press. Uh, so it'll, it'll go trap bar, deadlift, like seated kind of overhead press. The next exercise will be a, uh, a seated cable row. Then you go to a squat. After the squat, you go to an incline press. After the incline press, you go to a lat pull down. After the lat pull down, you go to a reverse lunge on each leg. Uh, after that, you go to a bench press. And after that, you go to like another pulling exercise. So it's like it's 10 really basic exercises. You're going to work at a 15 rep ask. I'm asking you to get 15 reps at every station in 30 seconds. You got 30 seconds to get to the next station. And you're going to do three rounds of this. So the goal is to get 450 total reps in 31 minutes. And uh, and I'll tell you, it's just like it's the most brutal punch in the face that people have ever had. Like it's 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 pretty incredible. And uh, it's also like when I'm designing these things, I'm thinking very much about like uh, dopamine in the brain. So it's like I, I look at good programming as being like. I, a very specific thing that I'm asking you to do. And, uh, and in this case, I'm asking you to do 15 reps on every single exercise and, uh, and, and do it for three rounds. The goal is 450 reps. And I want you to keep working with very specific weights until you can do 450 reps. And if you do 450, increase the weight. Um, and, and generally speaking, I like this because it teaches people like, you know, some, sometimes I see people that are beginners lift weights and they're like the human rain delay. They're so slow. It's like, okay, do the movement, be an athlete. Like let's get 15 reps in and, and do it fairly quickly. So it teaches people to move 
in a in a fast manner. The faster you move, the more dopamine you release. The more dopamine you release, the greater the reward feeling. Um, from a sensory perspective, you do this workout, and, uh, and it, it, you're gonna feel this thing till the cows come home. You get done, and you just feel like you got smoked. But it's incredibly rewarding because you were striving for this very specific goal. You were moving fast, and uh, and and you just feel like, man, I really accomplished something. Like I was working hard to get to this very specific outcome. So every phase features that. It's like I'm always very specific with what I'm going to ask you to do. It's never any, there's no wiggle room with this. It's never like, oh, you can do eight to 10. No, it's like block one, try to do 15 reps. Block two, try to do 10 reps. Block three, you are going to do five reps on the big sets. Block four, you're going to do seven reps and 20 reps in a, in a, in a superset combo deal. Um, you know, I think that, that it worked well from an endurance runner. You know, it's like, I know he's competitive. He's going to want to go get it and hit those numbers and keep pushing himself. And I'm going to work from the closest to his comfort zone, which is aerobic slash lactic threshold stuff. And I'm slowly going to move in the direction of like, higher loads as well as lower number of reps, which would be more in the realm of pure strength development. So that's kind of how it started. It was for one kid who, by the way, put on, um, after the first two blocks, after the first two weeks, he had gained 14 pounds of muscle according to the in-body measurements that we did at Peak Performance. And after 16 weeks, he had gained 20 total pounds and like 19 of those pounds were muscle mass. And if, if you think about that from someone with a starting body weight of 120 pounds or 125 pounds, he gained such a ridiculous percentage of weight uh, that it's almost like, oh my God, I, I kind of can't believe that's real life that he pulled that off. Um you know, it was supposed to be a big article that would come out with like the opening of New Peak Perform and like this uh, this crazy workout that they were going to possibly call like best new workout of the year, but it just didn't really materialize with Peak going out of business. But anyways, like I did the program with him, you know, because it was like like I said, I don't like to have people do things that I'm not doing. And I started doing it, and I started working out with some of the other guys at Peak. We all started doing it. And uh, and then from there, it was funny. Like, Jim Ferris actually sent me a message, and he was like, hey, you know, I'm just sort of stagnant with my training right now. Do you have, a like, anything you're working on, a program? I was like, yeah, I got this thing if you want to try it. He did it, and it was just, it, it, you know, I think he, he posted a couple of videos of him doing it. And then other people were like, what the hell is this that you're doing? And they, they, so I sent it over to other people and, uh, and before you know it, it just kind of went sort of viral with people just posting it. So I'm thinking to myself like, all right, men's health is supposed to do this big article on this thing, call it their best new workout of the year. People are already doing it and getting really good results. I, I should probably be smart and actually capitalize on this and actually make a little bit of money. So I just sat down over a weekend and wrote the book. And, um, and I worked with Rebel Performance to, uh, 
to put it together in an ebook format, and then we just started selling it. And you know, it's just one of those things that's just done pretty well. Um, and and it's, I think that it's just so damn challenging, and it's like it's just so in your face and simple that people like it. It's just you don't have to think too much. You're probably going to improve your fitness in all parameters to a degree that you will be shocked by once you do it. And it's like you go through it and you're just like part of kind of a cool club of people that survived it. And, um, and it's just something that, that people seem to like for whatever. It's just part of our of who we are as a species. And, and how many times a week uh, would you be completing that session? Well, it, it recommends it, like the book itself is very specific. It says do each do each workout like do the workout for block one four times a week. It's all four times a week workouts. Now, what I did because you know when you know me in real life, you find out very quickly how like legitimately crazy I actually am. Um, you know the guys that I worked out with at peak. We just decided, well, let's do it six times a week just to see what happens. Um, so we actually did every workout six times a week. Um, and generally speaking, like we all got hurt doing it that much. But it was it was it was kind of fun because it was like, well, let's see how far we can go before we get hurt, because we know at some point the stress response will simply catch up to us and our bodies will get hurt to, to try to prevent us from doing any more. But, um, you know, we went a pretty long way before that happened. We got to like, I got hurt in week, uh, 15. So I made it almost to the end. I got hurt right in the last week. Um, some of the other guys got generally like people got hurt during block two, trying to do it six times a week. That, that one seemed to just like kill us. Um, but four times a week for most people. You're not going to get hurt. There's a lot of variability in the first two blocks that really prepares you for the specificity in the last two blocks. Great stuff. It's, uh, it's funny too, yeah, similar to myself this year, I, there was a, a sort of a similar program that I kind of designed for my own training, but it, it was like different to mass, but I, I actually call it 858. So you train five days a week, three up or two lower, and just on your main movements, you just do eight, five, eight sets of five to eight reps, and then your accessory work is just like basic bodybuilding stuff. But so the actual sessions themselves are quite short, so literally like three exercises max per session, and sometimes two and lower body days. But it's similar to you in that I said, right, I'm just going to keep doing this so my body just like doesn't allow me. And I got to like week 10, and then my left knee started to get a bit achy. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's just nice to that. Just, Fucking put some together. Real, as Dan John says, it's it's uh, simple but not easy. It's simple in design, but yeah. it's not easy to do. And just push it out for as long as you can. But uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 not sophistic. It's like I'm going to write uh, a sequel to it, and the sequel is going to be way more sophisticated. You know, it'll be much more of a long-term kind of approach, and it would be what I would consider to be, you know real deal, high level sports science program design. Um, I'm looking forward to writing it, but you know, it's like, I actually like I'm getting married next Saturday and I'm working on trying to start a new business. And I'm also working on this monster presentation I'm going to do in September. 
So it's like I'm getting pulled in so many different directions, and I've got just time has been like really hard to come by lately. So it, it, like I had, I, I was just thinking to myself like I, it's gonna be hard to work out, man. Like what am I gonna do? So I was like, well, I'm just gonna go back to block one of mass, and I'm gonna do it every day till the wedding. Um, because it takes exactly 31 minutes to do the workout every single time. It's 31 minutes. Exactly. And I was like, I've got 31 minutes a day to be able to exercise in. And, um, you know, I, I, I really liked the program design I was doing before that. It was, it was really smart from a sports science perspective and incorporated all these variables and timing and blah, blah, blah. And like, honestly, I've been getting better results doing block one again every day uh when i even when i look at my omega wave and my strength numbers and my body composition it's like uh you know sometimes you can't explain things through systematic logic and science but sometimes some things just work really well and uh and that's a definite element of, of that of mass like it's like stop thinking so much you know because we're all a bunch of like these sports science super nerds that love books and programs and perfection. And it's like, dude, if you actually do this thing and try hard, I guarantee you're going to be incredibly happy with what the results are. Uh, if you can just shut off your analytical brain and your internal monologue and all of those things and just do it, you know, it's, it's kind of remarkable. Great stuff. That's it today for part two, guys. Make sure you come back and check out our final part, which will be part three. But until then, take care. I'll talk to you soon and stay strong.